This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Jeb Jackson. Our show is sponsored by DS Beverages, Anheuser-Busch Distributor for Paul Bunyan Country, Ace on the Lake on Lake Bemidji South Shore, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Safes, Pepsi 9 Omnia of Bemidji, Timberline Sports and Convenience in Black Duck and Clearbrook Electric. Well, believe it or not, we have a new fishing season starting on Monday. Yes, March 1st is the start of the new fishing season. What this means for you is if you're going to be out on the ice still doing some ice fishing, you can't fish the walleyes, first of all. Secondly, it means you need a new license. And thirdly, it means due to the Sunfish Initiative, there are many lakes across the state with new panfish regulations. We're going to get the details on that with a couple of guys from the DNR, Acting Bemidji Area Supervisor Andy Thompson and Brainerd Area Fisheries Supervisor Mark Bacigalupi. And on top of that, more on Bemidji State University's Wildlife Biology Program and some great projects they're involved in. We'll get the details from Dr. Jake House. Up first today... It's Andy Thompson. We're going to talk a lot about panfish today and sunfish in particular because of the Quality Sunfish Initiative. Uh, its work has been done, and we're moving forward to the next step. Uh, first of all, Andy, thanks for taking time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me on the on your show. Well, we're going to have some changes coming up March 1st, and we're going to delve into what those are a little bit later on. But let's go back to the beginning and discuss the Quality Sunfish Initiative. Why did it get started, and what was the goal? Well, it, I guess it really started, um, it was probably about seven years ago when we formed uh, the Panfish uh, Work Group and Technical Committee. Uh, the Panfish Work Group is made up of, of um, a number of constituents from around the state that represent different interests related to fishing, whether it be resort owners or, you know, pro anglers or, or uh, just everyday anglers. And uh, when that committee was first convened, there was some pretty strong interest in in uh, tightening up some of the harvest regulations on on panfish in general and and sunfish in particular. Uh, sunfish rose to the top right away as as being the number one issue that that they wanted to tackle. And uh, so, along with the the uh, work group, uh, the DNR Fisheries section put together a panfish technical committee uh, to, you know, provide to technical information, you know, a lot of our data that we've collected and some of the biology of, of sunfish and, and panfish species uh, to that work group to, to give them some good information to work with. And uh, that's, that's kind of when it, when it got started and uh, it took a while to, to uh, decide what to do. Um, initially, there was a strong support for for a statewide uh, a change to the statewide bag limit for sunfish, which is currently at 20, and uh, they wanted to just roll that back for all lakes in the state, which probably would have been easier in some ways, but in other ways, it it may not have happened. We we uh, we kind of determined at that point that we just didn't probably didn't have the support to do that. And uh, realizing that a lot of lakes, um, you know, a 20-fish bag limit isn't going to hurt anything on, in a lot of our lakes that in, in the state. Uh, so we kind of took a different direction and went towards individual lake management. So that's kind of what led to the proposal that um, was rolled out last year. Um, we went through a, a big public input process last summer, and... Uh, 
uh, had had great success. Uh, most of the lakes that were proposed are going to be um, in effect for reduced reduced limits starting March 1st. I've talked to a number of people who are big uh, aficionados of, of sunfish and panfish and bluegills. And long before this initiative even started and as it was going on, they, they kind of all had the same thing. We've still got good sun fishing in this state. We've still got good sizes in a number of lakes. Uh, we're better off than a lot of states. We need to find a way to stay that way. And this is what uh, that kind of addresses. Yeah, that's right. And especially in the Bemidji area, we recognize that. We, we still have quality uh, sunfish populations in this area. And for, for a number of reasons, um, one is that we're, we're actually kind of on the northern fringe of the sunfish range. It's bluegills in particular um, is, is kind of the, the flagship species when it comes to sunfish. But because of that, uh, a lot of our lakes actually didn't have bluegills, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And they've, they've gradually expanded their range and, and into more and more lakes. So our populations haven't been around really all that long. And also because we're so far north, um, their recruitment of, of sunfish is, is pretty variable, which leads to lower density populations in a, a lot of our lakes. And those low densities are key to producing the, the quality sizes that we see around here. And, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, people weren't, weren't thinking too much about going to Bemidji f- for pan fishing, and, uh, but that's changed. I, we've become kind of a a destination for panfish anglers. You talk about that low density. The danger of that, of course, is panfish bite so easily uh, you can you can empty out a lake in a real hurry. Yeah, they're, because of that, they're they're very vulnerable, and uh, you know they grow pretty slowly, uh, especially up north. Um, but the growth rates are adequate to to for them to achieve the large sizes. But it still takes them a while to get there. And so it takes, you know, as we take them out, it takes quite a while to replace them. So they're, they are very vulnerable to harvest. So different parts of the state have different issues, different types of lakes, different things going on. You guys put together some new regulations that go into effect March 1st. There, there's got to be more than one, I presume. Yeah. Um, regulations? Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's actually two that are have been proposed and are going to be implemented it's uh we we took the approach of going with a daily limit similar to how yellow perch are managed with a 20 fish daily limit and a 40 fish possession limit so these are going to be daily limits that go hand in hand with the statewide uh 20 fish possession limit so they're either five fish daily limits or 10 fish daily limits and uh, it it varies a little bit by lake and and especially by what part of the state we're in. I think uh, most of the ten fish limits were proposed a little further south of, of Bemidji, down in more in central Minnesota or southern Minnesota, where they actually have a little bit higher densities and and better growth rates, and and can probably replace those fish a little more quickly. So uh, the uh, in the Bemidji area, we're we're looking at all the five fish daily limits, and we've seen um, Andy in, in several lakes where that was implemented as a special reg. Pymush is a 
big example I keep hearing and, and know that that's, that's very true. I think they've done the same thing in Black Deck. And, and we've seen some really nice, uh, in those particular lakes, bluegills uh, happening because of those regulations. Yeah, in uh, in in Paimush, um, they we had we had quality um, sunfish already in that lake, and and they were put in as more of a protective measure, and uh, it's really worked. It's it's that that lake has held up for quite a long time. It started with a ten fish limit, um, quite a quite a number of years ago, and after. Um, a period of time we were monitoring that population pretty closely and we were starting to see some declines with that 10 fish limit and uh, we uh, modified it to a five fish limit and it's been going strong ever since and uh, it, it it really has worked well and we've, we've got several other examples of that around the state and especially in the northern part of the state in uh, Beltrami County and Itasca County over in the Grand Rapids area uh, there's some good lakes where the five fish limit has performed really well so we are expanding that to a number of different lakes uh i think you told me maybe around 24 or so lakes in in this particular area yeah in the bemidji work area which is primarily beltrami county um it's going to be the turtle river chain of lakes and the cast chain of lakes um you know the cast lake system has some of the lakes in that system are are pretty good sunfish lakes and while others are maybe not as known for sunfish, but they all have the capacity to pr- produce some quality sunfish. But because they're so broadly connected and and people can just boat from one lake to another, the the regulation you know for for enforcement purposes just has to be uniform. And then there's a few you know individual lakes around uh, in the, in Beltrami County, one in Clearwater County. Uh, that aren't connected to other lakes that are also in on the list here. Now I know there's way more than you know 24 lakes in in the area that have panfish in it. So so you kind of narrowed it and you kind of um, um, pointed to a few lakes and, and went that route. So what kind of was the determining factor in which determined we're going to do this here but not here? Yeah, we we tried to really look at lakes that that have the either have quality sunfish populations already or have the capability to produce them based on you know past history you know some of the some of the lakes have had and been known for producing really nice sized sunfish and and don't anymore Um, but we think that that potential is probably still there and it's probably just been harvest that has kind of cropped off that that top end so we we looked at growth rates and uh, the productivity of the lakes and and the populations that are already there, and tried to pick ones that that really are going to be you know they'll stay high quality populations if they're managed correctly and and uh, uh, that that's kind of the gist of it that we you know we tried to go for the lakes that have the best potential. And that's going into effect on March first. Uh, of this year, so just uh, just down the road here, um, we mentioned a few of them. We do not have time, obviously, to mention every single lake. So, how do people find out so they make sure they don't make a mistake come March first? Yeah, well, we're going to have um, signs at all the, the public accesses. Um, we're going they're going to be kind of temporary signs at first because we we don't have the permanent signs yet, but we'll get something up there. 
And then uh, on the DNR website, if you get on the, the Sunfish page, uh, search for Sunfish, uh, there'll be a, a list there. And uh, I think I'm, I'm going to try to get uh, a list on our area webpage, which is also linked through the DNR website, uh, Bemidji.Fisheries um, webpage. Okay. Or you can e- send an email to Bemidji.Fisheries at state.mn.us, and I can... I can uh, re- reply with a list. All right. I, I got to tell you something that uh, you probably will appreciate. I don't know if you heard um, this week's interview. I had Garrett Severe on from um, Slab, uh, Slab Seeker Guide Service down in Ottertail, and he was on the the group. Uh, he was part of the initiative. And he uh, he has a lot more appreciation for what you guys go through after dealing with everything you have to do. Yeah, <laughs> he, it- it's a slow move, moving process, and uh, we wish we could move things along faster. But it's a, there's a lot of steps and a lot of moving parts. Yeah, and and there's uh, there's a lot of different interests out there, and and you've got to con- you know you've got to communicate with all of those people, and you've got to take all of their uh, interest into at heart when you try to make a a decision that's going to benefit everybody or as many people as possible. Yeah, and. Uh, that's one thing to note about this this sunfish initiative is that we really had a strong public support for it. Uh, we had about uh, in just in general about eighty five percent out of uh, I think it was thirty five thirty seven hundred people that replied to our online survey app that that supported reduced bag limits in general, um, which is really really good, and that's a uh, that's that's been some of the best public uh, supportive public feedback we've gotten on on any of our regulation proposals. Well, I know you know people are passionate about their fishing up here, and they uh, and they care deeply. I think we have an incredibly well educated overall uh, fishing populace who really does understand, and um, we probably I think we just from what I've seen. We got people who understand it. The, the average fisherman in Minnesota understands things seemingly better than maybe other parts in the nation. They they just seem really educated. Yeah, we we really do have a, a very well educated uh, angling public, and uh, they're they're good good anglers too. And uh, that uh, you know, it's fun to be a good angler, and it's fun to see all those people really getting into it. But it, that's you know that puts a lot of pressure on our populations too. So um, that's why we're trying to be proactive with this and, and keep these quality sunfish populations around. And again, that goes into effect Monday, March first. All of these new regulations on these lakes. So check that out. The other thing about March first, we think of uh, March. You know, March still being the end of last year because we're still ice fishing. But as far as licensing goes, that's a new year. And if you're going out after March first, you better have a new license. Yep. Remember to pick up your new license. I know I've uh, I've purchased my license on my phone in my vehicle just before going out on the ice in early March before because I suddenly realized I needed a new one. Yeah, and it's very convenient. Uh, you know, obviously there's plenty of places to pop in and do that, but uh, like you said, you can do it right on your phone now. Yep. Anything else we uh, we want to talk about before we wrap it up today? Well, um, 
can't think of anything offhand unless you got more questions. Well, and, and I just uh, we we talked about it a little bit before going on air. Uh, it's a little bit frustrating for you guys. Everybody's still kind of operating at home. Uh, so, what are the types of things you guys are doing in this off season as we get ready for twenty twenty one? Yeah, well, um, like you say, we're mostly working at home. Um, I get into the office a fair bit just to check on the place and make sure everything's working fine and you know the electricity's on and all that um so you know the crew has taken their uh you know microscopes and various equipment they need at home to age fish and and write reports that's that's one of our big winter activities is is uh working up all the survey data that we collect throughout the summer and uh you know make sense of it all and and write some reports and uh get those submitted by spring just in time to to go outside again and we're working on planning as well planning for the next year and uh we're we're very close to having approvals to get out and do our normal spring work you know we didn't get a lot of that done last spring um so we're hoping to get out and take walleye eggs and operate our hatcheries and stock fry and and do our spring assessment work and musky eggs uh it's a long list. <laughs> Andy, thanks for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. That is Hacking Bemidji Area Fisheries Supervisor Andy Thompson. Coming up later in the show, we'll take a look at the Brainerd area and see what lakes might be affected there. Mark Bacigalupi, the Area Fisheries Supervisor, joins us. But up next, we're going to talk wildlife biology with Dr. Jake House from Bemidji State University. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Bunyan Country Outdoors, and once again, we're talking wildlife biology from Bemidji State University. This time, Dr. Jake House joins us to discuss a number of projects he's been involved in. Jake, thank you for taking time to be here today and, and chatting with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Kev. Happy to be here. So let's talk a little bit about you. Um, how, how did you get into this field? What made you uh, want to pursue wildlife biology? Sure. Well, so uh, I, I started at BSU um, and was kind of, uh, you know, I went to college because my parents said it was something I had to do. You know, I didn't really know what the next step was, and I was, you know, just kind of taking some random classes, and I was really always a very passionate bow hunter. So uh, I saw a course titled Animal Behavior, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to take that, and maybe that'll give me some insight into uh, where I can find, you know, some better hunting and where I can be a more successful bow hunter. Uh, and when I found out that there's an actual field of wildlife management and wildlife ecology, uh, that I immediately walked down to the registrar's office, changed my degree program, and haven't looked back since. <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's like a lot of our students at BSU. I got into this field because I like to be outdoors. I like hunting and fishing. Yeah, it seems like that tends to be, I, I would venture to guess, anybody I've talked to in this field, whether they went to Bemidji State or any other uh, university, ninety um, plus percent are people that they fished and hunted growing up, and and it's just something that seemed like a natural for them. Yep, yeah, it's a way to turn a, a you know a passion into into a career, which is not always a good thing, but um, <laughs> you know it, it worked out in my case. 
So 2006 to 2010, you were at Bemidji State University. Didn't really actually have a wildlife program per se there. No. I, you had wildlife classes, but but not a program. Right. Yeah. So we had a. It was, my degree was actually in biology, which is typically you know the, our department was sending a lot of like pre med and things like that. Uh, at the time, it was just Dr. Liz Rafe who was teaching some wildlife courses. I took. You know, I gobbled up everything that she was. Uh, every course she was offering and. When I went to start applying to graduate school, uh, you know, there were a lot of professors I was applying to who were saying, well, we, you know, you're not a wildlife student. We don't recognize the name of this university. And it probably held me back for a little bit. It wasn't until after I had left that Dr. Hiller, who I think you had on the show last week, mm-hmm. uh, really launched the wildlife program. Um, so it, it, uh, it's great to see what's, what's uh, happened here since I've left, and it's, it's really awesome to be able to come back and join a, a you know, a, a university that means so much to me, but now a program that's really kind of taken off. And it really has taken off. A uh, very, very popular program. Certainly a lot of uh, students are flocking to Bemidji because, as Brian pointed out, it's an ideal place, not just because you have great teachers and classrooms. You've got a living classroom, you know, for miles and miles and miles around. Right, exactly. I mean, there's not many universities you can go to that we can you know, be a short drive away from black bear den checks and and you know wolf howl surveys and we've got a, you know, a robust deer population right here in town so yeah we've got you know the classroom is as soon as you step outside the door so delaware is where you got your master's and phd uh tell us a little bit about your time there yeah so i was actually um uh up, up hunting here in northern minnesota when i i you know, got the call from a professor out on the east coast who was looking for a graduate student i hadn't even applied to the program um they just heard through the grapevine that I had done some work for some other other folks um, uh, in the in kind of the deer world and uh, when I got the job offer I was super excited you know getting into graduate school is kind of a competitive position uh, but I had to look up where Delaware was I knew it was east of the Mississippi and that's about all I knew about the state uh, so packed up my bags drove about as far east as you can go then um, I spent eight years out there so I, I did my master's looking at chronic wasting disease management actually in the state of maryland delaware doesn't have cwd yet uh so we uh, we were looking at the chronic wasting disease in maryland looking at deer densities uh some human dimensions work you know how the hunters were feeling about the management actions uh then finished my master's and then started working in delaware and this was actually a project where we were putting gps collars on adult bucks and adult does and looking at their movement in response to hunting pressure, some of their survival rates on the differences between public and private land, and uh, a lot of management implications came from that research. And we also looked at some uh, fawn survival stuff. And Delaware's got a really uh, unique ecosystem in that there are no natural predators to deer. Obviously, there's humans, uh, but there's no wolves, bobcats, coyotes, black bear, and there haven't been for over 100 years. You know, they've been extirpated from that, that Delaware Peninsula, and uh, they have not been able to recolonize. So it's a really unique system to be able to study things like you know, deer survival and fawn survival. And how did you make your way back to Bemidji State? Well, I always knew I wanted to come back to Minnesota. Um, and it, 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 the timing just worked out perfectly, that uh, uh, Bemidji had been petitioning for a, a, a specialist with lar- you know, large mammal ecology, particularly white-tailed deer, uh, and they had been trying to fill that position for years. Finally, they got approval right at the same time I was I was finishing up my PhD. 
Uh, so I had known Brian just through the field, and he had been kind of uh, pushing for me to apply, and I was you know, more than thrilled to, to be able to come back. So everything worked out, but kind of stars aligned, and, and I'm just absolutely thrilled to be here. So um, one of the things you have done and, and the BSU has done the last few years is is work. Is it with the city of Bemidji or is it uh, with the DNR? Yep. Yep. City of Bemidji. Well, um, it's with the city of Bemidji. There's a, a, a deer management committee that oversees the uh, kind of the, the deer overabundance issue within city limits. And they've been uh, managing a, a special city hunt uh, for many, many years. It predates even my time here as an undergraduate student. Um, and part of the the uh, management approach is to really kind of evaluate the effectiveness of the hunt. Is it actually just having any type of, of impact on the deer population? So every fall, we have our students from the wildlife program uh, drive around city limits, set transects within the city limits, and they're doing spotlight surveys for deer abundance. Okay. We then take that data, and in one of my courses, uh, wildlife management techniques, we have them analyze the data uh, to come up with a year abundance estimates for the city of Bemidji. And obviously we haven't been able to do that this year um, because of COVID. Right. Yeah. But but what have you found overall the last few years that you have been doing it? So we've been managing, we've been uh, serving three separate city wards. Ward 2 up by the airport, uh, Ward 4 and down by the south, uh, what was it, the southwest edge of town, and then Ward 5, which is over on the southeast edge of town. And there's a difference in the deer density between between those three wards. In general, though, the deer population is, is increasing in all three of them, or at least it's not decreasing. Now, the issue there is some might say, well, look, the, the city hunt isn't being effective. It probably is. We know how many deer we're removing from the landscape, uh, but we're just not able to keep up with the way the population is growing. Any thoughts as to why the population is growing so strong within the city limits? Yeah, I mean, I have some of my own pet theories that I'd like to, you know, start looking at from a research perspective. Uh, what I think might be happening is, is we still have these kind of refuge areas within the city limits that aren't we aren't able to hunt, you know, whether those be, you know, small suburban yards or, uh, um, you know, small woodlots that aren't able to safely support bow hunters. Um, I think the deer is kind of learning to use those as, as refuges so they're able to kind of escape some hunting pressure by utilizing these areas that aren't able to be hunted um so you know there, there could be a number of things going on uh it could just be that there aren't enough places to hunt to um to, to limit the deer population from a, a, a archery hunt perspective so overall what would be the negatives of too many deer in the city limits well that you know that that statement too many deer is, is really kind of a oh yes. a loaded statement <laughs> There's a few different ways to look at that. There's too many deer from a biological perspective and then too many deer from a social perspective. From a purely biological perspective, to say we have too many deer is maybe a bit of a stretch. Uh, we have, you know, plenty of food in the form of, of uh, you know, shrubbery and, and gardens and in those areas to support probably even a higher deer density. But from a social perspective, it's what are willing, people willing to tolerate and from that perspective, we're probably at too many deer. You know, that comes from the, the risk of vehicle collisions, uh, damage to agricultural fields, damage to uh, rose bushes and gardens. Um, so it, it, it's it's a different number for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if you're 
a farmer that that too many deer is is might be you know any deer might be too many deer. If you're a deer hunter, you you want to see more deer and, and everything in between. So uh, I'm assuming that once uh, COVID clear and things can return to some semblance of normalcy, you guys will get right back out there and and uh, see where we're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. The students are, are itching to go. Um, you know, they've been you know as eager to get out into the field as as we are. They were super disappointed this year that we weren't able to to do the deer surveys. So uh, yeah, we're going to jump right back into it as soon as we can. Another uh, project you've been working uh, on has been with the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Right, yeah. So uh, one of the cool things about coming to BSU is when, when I was working at Delaware, uh, there's so many faculty within a wildlife program, right? These programs are so large. You might have 10, 15, 20 wildlife faculty. So everyone has their kind of specialty niche research, and, and you're kind of expected to you know, stay in your lane. If you're the deer researcher, you're expected to do deer research. Coming to Bemidji, we had, you know, three wildlife faculty members now with, with, with me coming in a year and a half ago. So there's a, you know, you can kind of spread your wings a little bit and, and do some research on some, some species and taxa that uh, maybe were a little outside your wheelhouse. And that's exactly what I've been doing with, with the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe. So uh, we launched a graduate project. It's uh, Kim Shelton is the graduate student who's going to be working on that project. She's uh, a local uh, local student, she graduated from BSU's wildlife program last year, rolled right into a master's project with me. And uh, the, the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe has been uh, a little bit of concerned about their snowshoe hare population. It's a, it's a culturally significant animal to them. Uh, and they naturally go through these kind of population fluctuations. They might go, uh, will increase for, for several years, peak, um, peak at some certain abundance and then they'll start to decline for you know maybe five or six years and they go through these kind of 10-year cycles of boom and bust the problem in, on the leech lake reservation is they kind of got stuck in this bust level this kind of low population abundance level and they don't seem to be cycling back up and we're not sure why so the project i undertook with them was to look at predator abundance uh snowshoe hair uh, anything that eats the snowshoe hair that is a mammal so uh, Fisher, uh, Pine Martin, and Bobcat in particular. And we want to look at what types of habitats are those predators keying in on, how many of them are out on the landscape, and could that be something that is controlling uh, the snowshoe hare population and preventing them from kind of rebounding like they naturally would. Have you found anything preliminarily at this point? No, the, we, we're in our, our first field season right now. Uh, Kim's out there collecting data. Uh, we do know that Predation is probably what's limiting the population, but we're not sure why. Uh, it probably relates back to habitat. Snowshoe hares need a lot of uh, very thick uh, cedar habitat, uh, thick escape cover, and they're, they're, we're getting less and less of that habitat on the landscape. So uh, if we can identify that maybe those few pockets of cedar habitat are what the predators are really keying in on, and there's just not enough safety cover for these hares, then we can prioritize restoring that habitat. I, I always find these things to be very, very fascinating, whether it be wildlife, or I talk a lot to uh, you know aquatic biologists and, and projects yeah. and, and getting fish populations restored, things like that. 
it's really, really interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a lay person, of course. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that always strikes me is the sheer volume of patience people need when they're involved in these kinds of projects. This is not something you fix in a couple of months. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something we had uh, kind of originally started talked about uh, shortly after I, I started here at BSU. So, you know, this prob- project probably won't wrap up for another two years. Then we'll make our management recommendations, and then management actions can start. So this is yeah, these are, are, are very uh, long-term projects. I'm going to circle back to when you were choosing colleges. Now, you, you indicated you were not a uh, biology um, major when you got here. Uh, you saw a class right. offering kind of steered you that way. But was it the outdoors uh, aspects of BSU that brought you to Bemidji State to begin with? Yeah, that was a huge part of it. Um, it's funny how you bring this up. I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. Uh, I had, you know, I, was, I was a pretty good high school student, and I had gone to talk to my high school counselor, and I had a very, you know, uh, uh, I, re- I recall this really well. Um, I had, she had said, okay, well, who do you want to apply to? And I had, you know, I was involved in extracurriculars at 4.0 GPA. It was, uh, at, you know, scored really well on my ACTs. And, uh, and I said, well, uh, the only school I'm looking at is Mickey State. And that was because of exactly what you said. There's lakes right outside the front door, all sorts of public land to, to hunt and fish. And uh, he said, well, you know, you could probably get into any university in, in the, the country. I said, no, that's, that's, I don't want a safety school. I don't want anything. I want to go to BSU. So, uh, I had a few friends from high school who were coming here as well, uh, and we had come up to visit them uh, and, you know, done four-wheeling, fishing, hunting. Uh, so there, my mind was made up before uh, before I had even graduated high school. Okay, so, it, so even though that wasn't the major you were pursuing, it was that aspect that brought you here. It was in, that lifestyle, right? Yeah, you know, and, yeah, and, and I think that draws a lot of our students. Absolutely. In fact, I I hear you know even coaches uh, who are bringing football and basketball and hockey players in. Uh, that lures a lot of them too because they just love that aspect. That uh, you know they can pop out uh, the dorms and and uh, hit the water and go fishing or you know run to the woods in about ten yeah. minutes and go deer hunting or whatever. You know, part of our, our job as professors is every once in a while we need to meet with potential students and their families. And, and uh, you know, at first I kind of would always tentatively ask, well, are you into hunting or fishing? And, and yeah, they, yep, yep, big, big into that. And so now I, I just use that as one of the first things I lead off with is, hey, look at all the, the lakes we have, look at all the access to the public land. We have a 240-acre uh, research woods just on the northeast edge of, of Lake Bemidji, Hobson Forest. Uh, we do all sorts of cool cool research out there so yeah it's a, it's a really big selling point for us all right um anything i mean again i know everything is on hold but was there any other things you guys were looking at that uh, kind of were in the hopper before covid hit uh you know we had a few few grants pending there was nothing really firmed up uh once we can can start getting back on campus i think there's uh there's, there's going to be a few doors that that open up from for some minor you know some some minor projects up in up in Hobson, but uh, yeah, it's it, you know it, it put a damper on getting things uh, getting things kind of kicked off. But uh, you know we're eager to get back and and uh, and get back going. Well, how many students in the wildlife biology program right now? 
it fluctuates quite a bit. I think we're we're at about a hundred and forty or so uh, uh, full time students right now. Um, but you know, it, it, class sizes are increasing. Um, so while nationally uh, freshmen incoming freshmen are going down, our wildlife biology program is actually increasing. So uh, you know, that's a that's a good position to be in right now in today's climate. Well, certainly we have a lot of people within about 100 miles of Bemidji listening to this and uh, down in Brainerd. We actually have a lot of people who will, who will be hearing this interview, and, and we are podcasting nationwide. So this is a, a great little commercial uh, for the BSU Wildlife uh, Biology Program, and the uh, people in particular who are interested in the outdoors would be the people listening to this. Uh, if you're you know thinking of college in the next year or two, uh, definitely BSU might be a place to look. First thing they should do is probably go to the website, maybe do an application. Uh, can they call you guys? How does that How does that all work? Yeah, they can actually reach out to us directly. Um, you know, the nice thing about being a smaller program like we are is, is you get a lot of interaction directly with our professors. So, you know, check out the BSU website, but then you can also look at the faculty web pages for Dr. Dr. Liz Rave, myself, and, and Dr. Brian Hiller. We've got our contact information out there. Reach out to us, and we'll have, be happy to answer any questions about the program or point you in the right direction if it comes to an application. All right, very cool. Dr. Jake House is an assistant professor of biology, wildlife specialist at Bemidji State University. Great conversation today. Stuff I just, again, I find this stuff really interesting, and I appreciate you opening up and sharing with us. And, uh, Jake, enjoy the rest of winter. Let's hope it warms up a little bit here soon. For sure, yeah. I need to get out shed hunting. My dog's been itching to get out. Thanks, Jake. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Up next, we get back to bluegills. Mark Machigalupe is the Brainerd Area Fisheries Supervisor. We'll find out what Brainerd Area Lakes will be affected by the new panfish regulations and what he thinks it'll mean for pan fishing in the Brainerd Area. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. We're checking in well with Mark Bacigalupi. He is the Brainerd Area Fisheries Supervisor. And, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, we've talked to a few different people. I, I talked to Garrett Sevier, who, of course, was on the um, the Panfish um, Initiative Task Force. Uh, I talked to uh, Andy Thompson in the Bemidji Area's office. Now we're going to talk to you uh, in the Brainerd Area office. And f- first up for you, uh, Mark, uh, why don't you run down the lakes in the Brainerd area that will be affected by the new regulation going into effect March 1st? Yeah, we have a few lakes in the Brainerd area. We call it the Brainerd area. Specifically, um, my office manages Crow Wing County and Lower Cass. Um, in your listening area, that might also include Morrison County's Little Falls um, area maybe, and they have some lakes as well. But we have proposed nine lakes um, in what we call the Brainerd area um, for this quality sunfish initiative. I'll just run down the list. Sure. There are lakes that people might be familiar with, um, you know, chasing some of the the nicer sunfish that we still do have remaining around here, and we're trying to maintain that quality, uh, that size structure. So Borden Lake is one of them out towards uh, the Garrison area by Mille Lacs. East Twin um, in Nisswa. Edward Lake, you know, nice big lake south of Pelican Lake, uh, Gladstone, the Mississippi River between the Brainerd Dam and up to the Highway 6 crossing, 
uh, North Long Lake. People know that one because they drive by it all the time and see people fishing out there. Perch Lake, some, uh, smaller lake in Baxter, Upper Mission, and the whitefish chain is still remaining some, some really nice quality fish out there. And, and we, we expect that we can improve and, and maintain the, the quality sunfish size that we've seen in these water bodies. That's one of the main goals. Um, and also a big part of the, the initiative in the Brainerd area is to include crappie in the bag limit of five. So you could keep, uh, five crappie and five, uh, bluegill daily under this new regulation. And remember that it, it's, uh, a daily limit and not a possession limit. We've maintained that you could keep your statewide possession limit of 10 crappie, um, at home, uh, and 20 sunfish. So that's just something for anglers to remember. Okay. So, Mark, the, the lakes that you have just mentioned to me, now these are lakes that you guys feel still have good, solid uh, sizes and numbers in them, and we're just trying to build on that. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, um, when we've been talking about this regulation over the past 20, or excuse me, five years or so, you know, one approach would be to, to just go with tightened bag limits statewide. And and it, one of the reasons that didn't make sense is because many lakes just aren't going to have those nicer sized fish anyways in there. They've just never shown that. And these lakes that I mentioned um, are lakes that have shown that potential over the years to have those nicer fish in there. The people I've talked to uh, here in the Bemidji area and, uh, you know, Garrett, down in the uh, Ottertail area uh, all seem to have received pretty good positive feedback from the angling public in their areas. What are you hearing from anglers in the Brainerd area about this? Yeah, the the proposal has been received pretty well around here as well. Um, I didn't have the, the specific numbers uh, summarized here, but it is generally positive. Um, and, you know, we've received some information from our statewide input. We got 3,700 comments, you know, at these online, at all our online input and our public meetings. So had a lot of good comments coming in and 85% of the respondents are, are supportive of the initiative. So that's really good. And then we know in Brainerd that we get local anglers and visitors alike. So that's uh, important to remember when we're, we're getting input on these area lakes. Do you have any examples in the in the Brainerd area of of lakes that have been hit hard by too much harvest uh, of panfish and and you know really have lost maybe uh, what they used to have? Are there any good examples you could share with us on that? Well, um, that gets a little bit tough because um, the specific harvest numbers to to really say you know the quality declined after fishery got hit hard we really have to go more on anecdotal information the best information is to run a creel creel survey of course and we uh we run creels when as much around here as we can we have uh, really good people doing that um, we've done a creel survey most recently on north long lake and uh we're just working on that data this winter unfortunately i don't have anything ready for you but uh, mm-hmm. you guys kind of know the the hit list of lakes that 
<laughs> that get hit around here. And North Long was really one of the ones uh, a few years ago that had been experienced that that high pressure level. And and we hear more about the crappies around here. People concerned about too many crappies being pulled out more so than sunfish. But we know that that quality sunfish size has declined around here um mirroring mirroring the statewide trend as well so to probably refrain to to mention too many specific waters but okay well it's interesting you bring up crappie that was not of course a factor in the the bemidji area um but but it is down there i do know that you guys get a ton of fishing pressure there and and crappie fisheries can can be hit hard, you know. The word gets out that there's a cro- big crappie bite somewhere, and you can you can wipe out a, a cop- crappie population for a number of years in very short order if you're not if you're not careful. So this should be very helpful. Yep, you know we know you can um, really target them when they're um, congregated in the spring warm up period and around the spawning on nests, and then now nowadays. Um, you know, people can fish comfortably uh, for long periods of time in the winter. So, and that's <laughs> yep. kind of an emerging trend we're watching. So, yeah, and and of course this this law goes into effect very shortly, Monday, uh, March first. It's it's in effect, and that's the same day you need your new licenses. So keep that in mind as well. But um, um, so if you're going to be out fishing in um, you know next week. You need to know what lakes these these are involved in, and I you can go on the website, the DNR website, to find that out. I know there, there are going to be some postings. Is there any place else people can go to 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 find out which lakes are going to be affected? Yeah, mndnr.gov is the best kind of quick way to go through that and and maybe search sunfish. Um, they'll have the the whole listing there. I appreciate you getting the word out on this because you're right. The March 1st will pop up soon, right when people are getting their, you know, maybe their ice houses off the ice and maybe getting a new license. So a few things to remember. We're going to try and have signs up as soon as we can. They're not uh, ready to go uh, as of March 1st. Um, And so, uh, you know, getting the word out here, and we're going to be working on um, some more communications in addition to to radio interviews like this. So just being tuned in to that okay so mark um as long as i have you on the line uh, for our bemidji folks who probably haven't heard much from you and the Brainerd area before talk a little bit about the Brainerd area we know they got a ton of lakes with a ton of fish on them overall how has uh, the hard water season been as far as you've been able to tell well i'd say um maybe a little slow you know we started out with some um you know, people struggle to get on bigger waters because we just didn't have the ice cover, the good ice that we needed. Um, and we had a pretty good period for a while there. And now we're, you know, it's just a little bit slow right now. Um, and walleye's wrapping up here just in, in six days or so. So got to get out while you can. Now we have a lot of good ice and really good travel conditions around here. So people are out there doing it. That's for sure. We're seeing people fishing and and maybe record numbers. So that that's a great part. People can get out and get some fresh air, go fishing. Soft water, hard water, overall picture of fishing in the Brainerd area uh, the last few years. Have there been any big concerns out there, AIS or otherwise, or has everything been pretty good for you guys? 
Well, we've been uh, trying to gather what information we can on the AIS issues and their effects on fishing. Uh, it's definitely a focus of ours uh, in the management area of, of Brainerd. Um, there's some mixed signals out there in some ways. Um, people are trying to adjust to clearer water, uh, fishing in clearer waters. That's been part of the struggle, I think, more so than population changes or, or maybe behavioral changes by fish um, responding in clear water. Um, the fishing grounds have changed a little bit because, you know, plant beds, plant beds have changed. Um, there's maybe more algae growth in some of our zebra mussel lakes. So, so there's always changes and challenges out there. Uh, the populations have been hanging on and, and we're, like I said, we've been seeing a lot of people out there fishing and, and pressure is, is something we're, kind of concerned about and, and watching I and mean, we want people out there fishing but of course your your fellow fishermen know that you just don't want someone right next to you when you're fishing so yeah as far as fish populations in in the various lakes uh are things pretty much the way you you want them to be in the Brainerd area do you have any specific lakes where you have some projects going on you're trying to change some things besides besides the panfish that we talked about already yeah, we have a lot of projects going on. We're we're trying to monitor the effects of um, of zebra mussels on walleye populations. That's something we're keeping pretty close track on, as close a track as anyone on in a couple of specific waters like Gull Lake, the Gull Chain, um, the Pelican uh, Pelican Lake, eight thousand acres um, out of Breezy Point. Uh, we have some special yellow perch work that we've concentrated on this area more uh, more examination of perch populations than we've done in the past hmm. we know walleye depend walleye and pike species depend very much on those perch as a forage base um, as well as perch's importance as you know if they could get some bigger ones how much people like going to fish for those so, well, so yeah there's the uh, um you know the fisheries are overall in good shape around here, and we're we're watching for for those emerging trends that are going on out there. Mark, how long have you been uh, working in the Brainerd area? Um, I started in the Brainerd area in 2010. I've been with the DNR. Uh, it'll be 20 years in July, so uh, it's been uh, a really rewarding career. I expect to, to hope to stay on for the. Uh, Foreseeable, foreseeable future. <laughs> well, certainly. I mean, if you're in, if you're into fisheries, uh, Brainerd's a pretty good place to, <laughs> to be working. Uh, you know, Bemidji's a pretty pretty good place to be working. A lot of places in Minnesota, a good place to work in that realm. That's for sure. Yeah, a lot of water, and that that's helped. It, it spreads out people, and people can make different choices about what they want to chase on a given day. And it's always interesting working with all the industry people around here. That that uh, you know, it's. it's kind of a hotbed for that around here so that's been fun i always talk uh, about the fact that I, what i what i find really impressive about our area industry people or just people who love to hunt and fish um not only are they very good at it and passionate about it but they are uh they are smart they know what they're doing and they know the problems and they and they know what they need to do to help keep the fishery going along very well educated um uh, outdoor people in this area i think yeah i would certainly agree with that i've seen that um and 
and it's like this is the testing grounds for new technology and uh and people get the get the word out and there's the you know kind of the stronghold of the media outlets around here too so it's that's been fun to learn from fellow fishermen around here and see these things uh develop so when it's when it's your day off you get to go fishing for whatever you want what's your favorite uh, thing to fish for well, I really like chasing walleyes. I got uh, an eleven and eleven year old and ten year old, and uh, and they like fishing bass and and they like catching fish too. So sometimes we we diversified a little bit. We we like to chase trout in the Cuyuna uh, Country State Recreation Area and uh, yeah, expanding my horizons a little bit fishing with them. Okay, yeah. Uh, bass is uh, getting to be a very, very popular fish, especially with the development of uh, high school fishing and, of course, college fishing in our area, too. Um, you're seeing a lot of kids being introduced to bass fishing early, and that, uh, you know, we got a great bass fishery all over the state of Minnesota, but there seems to be uh, a lot more people getting interested in that. I think a lot of it has to do with that competitive fishing. Yeah, that's true. I think we've seen that trend here, too. That may be part of our future, and my kids might get into high school fishing here too in the future, so I'll be uh, making sure you know Dad, the boat captain, knows what he's doing a little bit. I had a few people tell me we'd had high school fishing when I was in high school. I'd have gone to high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some great opportunity. Hope that continues, and and everyone is able to. Uh, well, it's, it's a great recruitment tool, so we'll see how that pans out. All right, Mark Bachigalupi. Really stick with it. Yeah, I, th- I think you know. I think once people once people fish, they get they get hooked on it to to be a real corny, but that but they do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they and they figure out how how and when to go and what to do when there's bad weather and all sorts of useful skills out there that they're learning. Mark Bachigalupi is the Brainerd Area Fisheries Supervisor talking to us about the panfish. Uh, initiative and uh, the lakes that will be affected in the Brainerd area. Don't forget, it also includes crappie in the Brainerd area, and it all starts March 1st. Mark, we appreciate you taking the time today, and uh, have a great rest of the winter, and let's hope for a great spring. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We'll do it again sometime. This has been Fish in Paul Bunyan Country. It's sponsored by DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor in Paul Bunyan Country, Zerbrook Electric, Timberline Sport and Convenience in Black Duck, Ace on the Lake on Lake Bemidji South Shore, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Safes, and Pepsi Nye Bottling of Bemidji. Check in again next week when we do it all again. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.